internet friends, and welcome to this, the 50th episode of Love-Hate Relationship. <laughs> An opinionated podcast for opinionated people. I'm Andy Bowell. And I'm Alex Ruiz, and we are here to brighten your day and anger your soul and tell you how to live your lives in that order, and I don't think this works too well in a song. Hi, Andy. Hi, Alex. I, I thought that was delightful. <laughs> I mean... Maybe people start in on, like, the 50th episode, and they're just like, what the fuck was that? Who knows? I don't know, I but don't I know. loved it. I'm really bad at math, so I was seriously thinking about this before we recorded. And that means we've hated slash loved on a hundred different things, right? Give or, give or take, because yeah. of the triples? Well, because well, of the triple. I, again, I, I consider the triples... I mean, yeah, it's not technically a hundred things, because it's the 5, 15, uh, 25, 35, 45. So there are five things we have either loved or hated. So we're close. I I think we've triple loved more things than we've triple hated. That's true, but it's like like three versus two or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I could do the arithmetic, um, but I don't want to. Very fair. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there is a loving fan out there. You know what? Okay, Chris, I love you. I know you listen to all our episodes. You're good at math. Please <laughs> tell us how many loves and how many hates we've had, and tweet us because I love you. <laughs> you're, 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 you might be, you might be our biggest fan. Might and we be. adore you. Here, here's oh. what here's what trips my brain up. We've we've done a hundred things, but I also think we've done twenty five loves and twenty five hates, which would mean fifty. But there's two things in episode, so one hundred. Solve for X, Chris. We love you. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I can definitely say that we've done, we've answered 45 questions. That is true. So there is that. <laughs> you know, when before we started the podcast, I had these lofty thoughts that if we were ever like inundated with too many relationship questions, <laughs> we could do a, tr- we could do a triple episode that was like, it was just a full episode length, but it was just us answering questions. Yeah, I, I kind of hoped that we would get to some point to do that as well. So, you know, dear listeners, go ahead and inundate us. I mean, there's that. Or, and I just thought of this, Andy, maybe for like, not this anniversary episode, because obviously, like, it's, it's we, we've already written notes for other things. But if we're ever like struggling to come up with something or we need to do something fast we could do a whole episode where we just pull up relationships.txt and just go down message by message just responding to questions i do not hate that even a slight amount i think that is just derivative enough of my brother my brother and me to be fucking awesome so here's what i'm gonna here's what i'm gonna do um i don't need people to tweet us that they like this idea I don't. The only thing I need is if there's anyone who hates this idea and will 
never listen to us again if we ever do it. Tweet us at LHR Pod um, and tell us that because this is happening unless we are swarmed with people demanding that we not. And even then, I might still do it out of spite. <laughs> I was about to say, even then, we uh, appreciate every last one of you to the point where maybe a single person being like, mm, is enough to make a reconsideration. But. I, I think I just encapsulated our dynamic in a sentence with you there. You're willing to do it out of spite. I'm like, uh, even if one person doesn't like it, then we don't have to do it. <laughs> well, and it's, you know, you if you don't like an episode, we've said this, if you don't care for an episode topic, just don't listen to that episode. It's okay. Like, if zero punctuation means nothing to you and you don't care... Don't watch that episode or download that episode and skip to that section like or skip that section. That is fine. There's nothing wrong with doing that. So if you don't want to hear the all questions episode, don't download it. We'll have another one, a normal, ordinary one right after it. I've had this thing. So before before I started my like before I got my last job promotion, I was really good at like keeping up to date with the number of podcasts I had. And then I got a promotion, and that promotion makes it harder for me to listen to podcasts while at work, because I do a lot less paperwork now. Sure. Which is cool, but I have to, like, engage my brain with talking to people and researching things and, like, caring. Um, So now I haven't listened to nearly as many podcasts, so I'm hella behind on so many of my podcasts. And there's a part of me that's like, oh, my God, I'm like... I'm like 40 episodes behind on this or like my weeklies or my like my one daily podcast. I'm just like, I'm never going to catch up to this. It is literally impossible. Maybe I should just like give up. But I feel guilty about that because I've like there's a part of me that feels I should see them through till the end. Despite the fact like I don't have that with TV shows. I know people who are like, if I start a TV show, I have to watch it till the end. Just call me out directly. Okay. Or, or people who say that if they start a book, they have to read the whole book, even if it's bad. Like, I'm very much a, okay, I'm 50 pages into this book and I don't like it. I'm not going to bother with it anymore. Mm. Any any book I read, if I get 50 pages in and I don't care, I'm not going to finish reading it. F- fuck the goldfinch. Um, <laughs> book is awful. Um, but yeah, so... Why do I have this with podcasts? And and I and I technically don't because I've, again I've final I've just kind of accepted. All right, I'm never going to catch up with these. Um, the ones I care most about, House to Astonish, I am up to date with uh, as much as I can be. I I started listening to that when it was like more than like uh, I think I think past the like. 80 episode mark. I'm never going to go back and listen to those first 80 episodes from 11 years ago. I'm not. Um, sure. But yeah, like, I'm not up to date on Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men. I'm not up to date on the Rolling Stone podcast. I'm not up to date on any of my weightlifting podcasts. Like, and I'm just going to accept that and just kind of go, alright, I, this is... This is going to be a thing. But I still feel guilty about it for some reason. Maybe it's because I do a podcast and I, <laughs> as much as I, as much as I tell people it's okay if you don't listen to certain episodes, I want you to listen to every episode. 
See, I just like kind of idly fantasize about somebody I'll never meet on their morning commute, like listening to this episode 50 in the year 2023 and just like starting in the backlog like I did for my brother, my brother and me and uh, finding us just utterly delightful and enjoyable. I mean, I don't think that's going to happen, but I don't want to take your fantasy away from you, Andy. So thank you. you live in that. You live in that world. And I'm going to keep putting tens and tens of minutes of work into each and every one of these episodes. <laughs> and we will continue to crank them out. Because if nothing else, Chris now needs to keep a counter on how many loves and hates we do. Listen, man, to tie this all back into the end of the bus- douchebag buffer, we're at 50. Like, like, I didn't think we wouldn't reach 50, but I also never thought about reaching 50. So, I'll take it. Yeah. On that note, should we get started? Yes, on that note, if you're listening to this, the 50th episode of Love-Hate Relationship, welcome. Every episode, Alex and I take a single topic that one of us loves. We then counter it with discussion of another single topic that one of us hates. And then we take either your or the internet's relationship questions and provide our perfectly unqualified advice. And this week, dear boy, you have the love. I do have the love. And Andy, I'm going to do like something, something that almost feels like a throwback. And those who've been listening from the beginning will know what I'm talking about. God, we sound like <laughs> douches. This podcast has been around for two years now, and we're just, just, we're awful. Um, Andy, as ever, I like to start with an intro question. And I'm going to do a slight twist on what I did the last time that I talked about something kind of in this vein. Um... I'm going to be talking about a voice actor, and what I want to do by way of introduction is, Andy, I want to read off a list of credits of characters and the TV shows that they're in, and I'm going to ask you to pull a Chris and keep a count of how many of these characters are ones that you are familiar with. Okay. Okay. Starting my list. Penny from Inspector Gadget. Bollum brain, they look suspicious. Inspector Gadget, are you alright? Orange Blossom from Strawberry Shortcake. Kanisa from Ewoks. Chili Cooper from Slimer and the Real Ghostbusters. Tiger Lily from Peter Pan and the Pirates. Elmira from Tiny Toons. Hug you and squeeze you and kiss you and put coins in your eyes. Hyena from Gargoyles. Princess Katana from Mortal Kombat Defenders of the Realm. Shibo from Felix the Cat. She-Hulk from The Incredible Hulk. Nefertina from Mummies Alive, Susie Carmichael from Rugrats, Angelica, you know that you're mean to those babies, and I've had enough, Princess Kida from Atlantis, The Lost Empire, Welcome to the City of Atlantis, Lady Belgemine from Final Fantasy X, Max Gibson from Batman Beyond, we'll be talking about that one, Cleo from Clifford the Big Red Dog, Number 5 from Kids Next Door, That's why we gon' be Kids Next Door forever. Tiff from My Life as a Teenage Robot, Valerie and Danny Phantom, Foxy Love from Drawn Together, Maka Doyle from Mass Effect, Glory Grant from Spectacular Spider-Man, Black Arachnia from Transformers Animated, and Dr. Penelope Young from Batman Arkham Asylum. Yeah, so that's a solid 15 
uh, for me. I know you listed more than that, but you know there were there were fifteen uh, roles I heard that I was like, yep, yep, know who that is, know who that is, and I'm gonna take this moment to uh, admit to. Not quite my shame, but uh, Nefertina from Mummies Alive is definitely like one of my strangest and earliest cartoon crushes. That's fascinating because Mummies Alive, for those of you who don't know, Mummies Alive was maybe, was arguably the weirdest Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles ripoff of all the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles ripoffs, of all the shows that were like, let's have these weird superhero characters who are kind of relatable because they have your sense of humor, but they like transform and do shit and they fight one villain like in 90% of the episodes and will occasionally fight a different one. Yeah. Like, that show was weird as fuck. It was all about mummies, it was like superpower mummy heroes. It was superpower mummy heroes. They were always all janky, but then like they had their Egyptian superhero armor and it would unlock powers and shit. And there was a guy who was missing an arm, but he also had like an entire gold arm. Like he's Thor. Um, and yeah, that would come on, uh, calling back to the last episode that would come on and I would watch it right after power Rangers. And there, <laughs> there was an episode where Nefertina turned into a Catwoman, and it awoke something in me. Andy, um, I kind of want us to get sponsored by BetterHelp just <laughs> so that you have someone to unpack that with. That's very fair. I will totally take a BetterHelp sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Um, thank you for running that count. I thoroughly appreciate it. I didn't actually count up how many I listed, but the fact that you got 15 and I honestly just kind of went through, uh, this particular person's IMDB page and pulled out the ones that I recognized, or at least what are familiar with, if not an actual fan of, and it was maybe a third of her voiceover credits. Yeah. So that tells you a lot about who I'm talking about. Right, and I, so, I just real quick, I pulled up her IMDb, um, and and you know, Cree Summer has three hundred and twenty-seven acting credits. So we're scratching the up. surface. Absolutely. Uh, so you just said the name. Uh, this episode, I am talking about uh, voice actor, uh, actor, just like face actor and singer, Cree Summer. <laughs> There you go. There's the taste of some of my greatest hits. Now, real, we real haven't talked. Um, I didn't realize you hadn't said her name, and I don't want to steal your thunder. Do you, do you want to redo that? Shut up. Okay. Such a blunder sometimes. It makes me wonder why I even bring the thunder. Why he even brings the thunder. Uh, we both watched Hamilton over the weekend, and it was pretty great. Um. Okay, Cree Summer. So we're going to get into it. Uh, for those of you who don't know, and I imagine that's most of you, because uh, the last time that we talked about a voice actor was way back in episode four when we discussed uh, the fantastic Rob Paulson. And something we figured out, uh, or something that was apparent, and, and I knew it when I picked Rob Paulson back then, and I know it when I picked Cree Summer now, is that we're going to have that experience where I just, you know, I can name all of these characters that she played 
and there's and and this woman has voiced cartoon characters in four decades. Like she's been active since the eighties, and she is doing stuff like right now as well. And so, real quick, right off the bat, you know, reading your notes, that was the thing that stood out to me the most. Is you know, I, I I'm familiar with Cree Summer. I think there's an era of like two thousand four ish where like you know, number five and Foxy Love especially stand out to me, but I had no idea she was Elmira. I had no idea that she had been doing this since the late eighties. Early eighties. Her first role. Yeah. Her first, her first role, uh, voice acting was in 83, uh, when she, uh, was gonna, was, was cast as Penny in Inspector Gadget. So, um, I will talk about that, but yeah, since the early eighties, she's been doing stuff. You know, you're an eldest child, but um, I guarantee there are people here who, there are people listening who have older siblings that heard Cree Summer. I don't know how young our audience goes, but I'm pretty sure it's not beyond the pale for there to be people listening to this whose parents heard Cree Summer. Yeah. Voice a role or two, especially in the 80s. So... Um, I really liked the idea of talking about another voice actor and I, and I've been toying with it for a minute and, you know, I could have discussed Frank Welker or June Foray, uh, or any number of other really brilliant, really well-deserving folks. Um, Cree Summer is one of the voice actors that I love talking about because, especially to people who, you know, don't really think about voice acting. Uh, and I'm, tr- I'm trying real hard not to retread on the Rob Paulson segment, but, you know, that was over a year ago. Like, I, I probably can and no one will care. Yeah. But um, just with Cree Summer, number one, she's one she, – she's, she's a voice actor who just about everybody had a, who had a childhood in the last four decades has heard in some capacity, whether it's Penny – whether it's Elmira, whether it's number five, or whether it's, uh, I mean, her most recent credit is uh, in the new Masters of the Universe reboot where she plays Priestess. She's she's actively doing shit here. Um, beyond that, she's also had this really multifaceted career, which has involved, apart from being a voice actor, some definite on-screen acting work that was high profile, and I'll talk about that, and being a really interesting musician. And see, she's just an interesting person. Like, she is, she, she's on Twitter, and, and I'll link to her Twitter handle, like, in the notes. But uh, she's a great Twitter follow. She's a great interview. She is this unapologetic, politically literate black woman from Canada who's obsessed with Frank Zappa, does work for children and adults alike, and is consistently so underknown in so many of these realms that she's just so dominant in. So I wanted to talk about her today. And I appreciate that. I, I really do. Because, I mean, yeah, you, you touched on it a little bit. You know, there are more than a couple of voice actors you could pull from. You know, I mean, you could have uh, you could have gone to the Tara Strongwell. You could have talked about... <clears throat> any other number of voice actors, but Cree Summer is iconic, I believe, in in her voice, especially, like, that that number five, like, style of, of voice acting that she does. 
and fascinating and d- deserves prominence as probably i don't think anyone would argue with this the most prominent woman of color in voice acting i i am inclined to agree with that i, I can't think of another woman of color more or a- any higher than her right. in the profession i can't so to get a little bit of basics and we've we've touched on some of this already but just to get it out of the way um Cree Summer is a Canadian American actor, voice actor and singer. Her best known roles, I would argue, and maybe this is my bias showing through because this is definitely the era I'm most familiar with, are Susie and Rugrats, Number 5 in Kids Next Door, Foxy Love and Drawn Together. Um I think for a lot of us, uh, I, I I certainly know this about you. Um, she stands out as Max in uh, Batman Beyond. Yes, she does. Who is kind of Terry's, like, she's not really, she's kind of Oracle and Alfred mixed in one, but she's also, like, his sassy black friend. And, you know, the the one who all the correct people ship Terry McGinnis with. I mean, <laughs> she's too good for Terry. Ooh, Okay. We'll have some talk about Terry McGinnis later, I, I think. <laughs> I, don't get me wrong. I love Terry McGinnis, but Max is too good for Terry. Fair. Yeah. Um, her career largely began in 1983 uh, when she was only 14, by the way. Uh, and she was, as I mentioned before, cast to play Penny in the original Inspector Gadget show. This was something that I like discovered later because I'm like my introduction to Cree Summer was definitely Susie and Rugrats. Like that was my first interaction. I was a huge Rugrats fan when I was a little kid. Like I loved Rugrats and I and I had Susie's voice in my head. But my sister was a huge Inspector Gadget fan. And that show started before she was even born. But like I remember watching Inspector Gadget reruns with my sister because she loved that show so much. And I didn't realize that Cree Summer voice Pen- like Penny is a like adorable little white girl. Sure. And 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 apparently she was voiced by a 14-year-old black lady, um, or 14-year-old black teenager. Um which I I just I had no idea about that. It's not, it wasn't readily apparent to me. And so looking back on, and I pulled up some YouTube clips of Penny. Like if you want to drop one here, Andy, like feel free. But I had no conceit of that. And that's when I realized just how far back her catalog runs. Um, Just because I think it's cool. I also want to mention at that time in her life in 83, when she was a teenager, she was also fronting a band and was regularly taking gigs for radio stations, singing interstitials and theme songs. She has been a, yeah, she's been a performer. Like she's, she joined her first band when she was 13. Like she has been literally doing this basically her entire life. Which I find so impressive. Oh no, absolutely. Like rock and roll. To, to st- like rock and roll for the variety of her career, rock and roll for the length of her career, and rock and roll for starting this as a 13 year old. And as far as I can tell, never going just completely Drew Barrymore off the rails. No, I mean, honestly, I, 
I'm sure it probably helps that, you know, she she has never gotten that famous. Sure. Um, I, I'm going to say her, like, biggest role, her most visible role, uh, at least in most of the public eye, uh, was actually five years later in 1988 when she was cast as Freddy on A Different World. Uh, Andy, did you ever watch A Different World? I don't know if I've ever heard of A Different World. Okay, so... Did you ever watch The Cosby Show? You know, I really didn't. Okay. That, and that's that that's okay. You it, it was definitely before yours and my time if we if we ever watched it. I watched The Cosby Show a little bit in syndication. I just didn't find it that funny. Um but I always understood why it was important to people. Sure. Uh and and, and of course every caveat Bill Cosby is a monster, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, the Cosby Show was culturally very, very important. A Different World was a spinoff from The Cosby Show starring Lisa Bonet's character from The Cosby Show as she went off to college. Mm, okay. It's a different world. Ooh, and where you come from? The city is not, yeah. In 88, uh, Cree Summer was cast as Freddy, who was like... Lisa Bonet's like really good friend and uh, on a different world. And she was on the show for five years. Like, and that was, it's hard for me to articulate to people who aren't, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to make this sound condescending, especially because I'm not of the African-American community, but it's hard to articulate how important the Cosby show and to a certain extent, a different world were to a very important subsection of the black population in the late 80s and early 90s. That was essential television for the culture at that time. Sure. So that was arguably Cree Summer's like highest profile gig was being for was spending five years as a major supporting character on this very important uh black sitcom so that oh by the way that was also where she developed her lifelong friendship with lisa bonet who subsequently introduced Cree summer to lenny kravitz because the two of them were married for a while and Cree summer and lenny kravitz have been like collaborating musically since the 90s and I love Cree Summer's music. I actually think that she is an incredible musician and that very rarely gets the credence it deserves. But her music is like this weird mix of American, like kind of alt rock or like just straightforward, like experimental rock and roll with like American funk. It's hard to explain. I, I'm trying to think. How um, much like Lenny Kravitz's American Woman cover is your standard Cree Summer song? Because <laughs> um, that's what you just described to me. <laughs> you know what? It's it's. You know what? It is up there for production value. Okay. I need some sweet. Soothe my inside. But um, I mentioned that Cree Summer loves Frank Zappa. 
And I, I mention that because she mentions it in literally every interview she does. Unless she is specifically being interviewed by, like, an 11-year-old for Nickelodeon, she will try and find a way to talk about Frank Zappa in the interview. Oh, that's great. Because she just fucking loves Frank Zappa. And you can you can hear it in her music, how just much she wants to mess around with shit the way Frank Zappa did. Respect? No, that's great. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And I'm I think she's great. She's only done like a couple of albums like under her own moniker. Um but I think she is just she's an incredible singer and in most of her voice act and in a lot of her voice acting work, she sings. Like there's like you did you watch All Grown Up? Did you watch Rugrats? You know, yeah, I, I absolutely did. I watched both of those. All Grown Up was right at the very tail end of my watch a cartoon on Nickelodeon days. But, you know, I'm I'm incredibly familiar with Susie Carmichael. Yeah. So, Cree Summer sings the opening theme song to All Grown Up. And Susie, like, has several plot lines in All Grown Up about how much she loves to sing. Obviously, Foxy Love sang multiple songs on Drawn Together. Yes. <laughs> uh, if you don't, if anyone has a chance, uh, Mom, don't do this. Um, if anyone else has a chance, Google La 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 Labia. La 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 Labia. And watch the YouTube video that comes up. You're welcome. You're very welcome. Yes. <laughs> uh, so yeah, she will she, she'll she'll sing in a ridiculous amount of the um oh, um one one role she played that I didn't list here because I'm not terribly familiar with it, but you might be. Did you ever watch The High Fructose Adventures of Annoying Orange? <laughs> I was just scrolling along that on IMDb. Um I think this was well past my days of watching what was on uh disney or nickelodeon or, or, or whatever this is so i'm familiar with the annoying orange but no i i did not watch it <laughs> okay i never really watched it much like i said but i understand that on that show on the tv show for annoying orange she plays a singing pomegranate because mm. why the fuck not yeah. I can dig it. She I mean, just it's. Yeah, I, I'm I'm scrolling through it and, and I'm seeing you know stuff I recognize that we didn't even mention. Um, Wua on Shaolin Showdown, who was like this evil ghost villain, um, you know, and, and and as voice actors do, she's got like one episode on everything. But I'm seeing she um, was on Voltron, Legendary Defender, which is a show my sister uh, very deeply loved. Uh, I didn't know this existed, but she voiced Nebula in the Guardians of the Galaxy TV show, which apparently lasted for four years on Disney XD. I'm looking at yeah, it on IMDb and it looks fucking insane. Like I've seen like 15 minutes of an episode of that show when I was just like channel flipping at my parents' place. And it looked hella cool. Every picture I'm seeing, like half of them are in 3D. It looks like everything is in a different animation style. I'm 
I'm intrigued. Um, but, you know, this actually kind of gets me into talking about something I was curious to get your opinion on. This, uh, sure. this choice was incredibly topical because this is the first episode we've done since uh, Jenny Slate stepped down voicing Missy on Big Mouth. Um, for anyone who is unfamiliar and doesn't understand why, why that's a big deal, Missy is an African-American character and Jenny Slate is not. Uh, you know, we also had Kristen Bell um, step down from her role in Central Park, where her character was a mixed race girl. And Cree Summer's first role was Penny. Penny was, you know, this small little blonde haired white girl. And I want to know your opinion on in voice acting, the difference between, you know, different racial castings and, and, and I'll just go ahead and, and cast my opinion to give you an idea. Like, I think it is good and appropriate that Jenny Slate and Kristen Bell have stepped down from their roles. And at the same time, I have zero compunction, zero problem with Cree Summer, uh, you know, playing uh, a white character, be it in uh, Inspector Gadget or anything else. Um, and I think it has a lot to do with just the like the comparative availability of roles for voice actors of color. Cause you know, Orlando Jones is the other person who comes to mind and people were straight up saying like, okay, Orlando Jones needs to stop voicing all the white characters he uh, plays. And I just thought that was ludicrous, but you and I have not actually talked about this. I don't think so. I was just curious on your thoughts. No, we haven't talked about it. And you know, like I, I mentioned on the Rob Paulson episode that he, an early role for him was he played Haji on Johnny Quest, and he has since said, like, you know, it was the 80s, we really didn't know better, I apologize for that, obviously in any future incarnations I think Haji should be played by a character of of that descent. Um, I am very much... I don't know who is saying that Orlando Jones should step down from voicing white characters... But um, I disagree. I think that it is not about... I, I think zeroing in on race of actor should match race of character misses the reason why it is problematic for white people to voice people of color. It is problematic because of power dynamics, and it is problematic because of a long history of minstrelsy, blackface, yellowface, brownface, and those and 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 a long-standing history of white entertainers putting on racial identities as a persona. The reason why that is not applicable in the other direction is that there is no long-standing history of say, black people putting on whiteface as a form of enforcing and reinforcing oppressive racial dynamics. When Dave Chappelle puts on whiteface to voice, to, to, to play white characters in 
Chappelle show sketches, when Key and Peel put on whiteface, when the Wayans brothers put on whiteface in in White Chicks, those those decisions aren't subject to a deep historical prejudicial evil because black people can't oppress white people because people of color don't have racial power over whites. Mm -hmm. Use your white voice. My white voice. I'm not talking about Will Smith's wife like this young blood. Hey, Mr. Kramer, this is Langston from Regal View. Whites have racial power over black people. Whites have racial power over people of color. They historically always have. It doesn't matter how many spelling bee kids end up being Indian. It is offensive when Hank Azaria voiced Apu. That is that is just because there is a history of white people dressing up in the garb in the identity of Indian person and Indian person becomes an identity under its unto itself. The reason Hari Kondabalus was talking about, quote unquote, the problem with Apu, the reason why Cal Penn talked about how much he hated that character was because he was sitting on a playground and all of the kids would come up to him and tell him, do an Apu voice, because that was the only representation of Indian that they had. So they thought this child who is also Indian, that must be his identity. So anyone who's suggesting Orlando Jones should stop voicing white characters, it's problematic that Cree Summer played Penny or any other white character that she has played, is ignoring a lot of history, a lot of detail. In an idealistic world, they're just not aware of it because they haven't been educated in it. We come back to the statement that Americans are not civically minded. They're not civically educated. They're not historically minded or historically educated. Uh, and at its most sinister, it's deliberate obfuscation. So I am cool with Cree Summer voicing Penny or any other white lady she wants. Agreed. And and thank you. That was just as uh, insightful and eloquent as I thought it would be when I completely, without warning, threw that at you. <laughs> you mispronounced long-winded. Uh, so... I'm 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 not gonna belabor too much more on Cree Summer. I legitimately just wanted people to be aware of who she is. Um, you know, I, and I'm I'm not gonna lie, the fact that she is a woman of color in a heavily white-dominated industry definitely played into my decision to single her out among the bevy of voice actors that I could have talked about. I'm obsessed with so many voice actors. Some of them have voiced problematically uh, racially insensitive character characters. I'll admit that. Um, some of them haven't, but I'm you know I still love them. I wanted to talk about Cree Summer because as a woman of color, she's at the height of her profession. Um, I mentioned her Twitter handle. She's a great, great Twitter follow. Like she has really astute political opinions. A lot of her music is very politically minded. 
Um, she has great takes, especially when it comes to subjects of racial justice, uh, LGBT issues, arts funding, voting rights, just just all manner of subjects. I think she is highly underrated for that Twitter feed, and she's just highly underrated in general. And I really, really wanted to spotlight her because when I try and talk to people about voice acting, when I try and make it something that they're aware of, Cree Summer is one, like I regularly will talk about Rob Paulson, I'll talk about Frank Welker, and I'll talk about Cree Summer because these are all people that everyone has heard. Everyone has heard those voices, a version of those voices somehow, and almost no one is ever aware of it. But it's the kind of thing where you're just like, oh shit, Max in Batman Beyond is also number five, who is also Susie Carmichael, who was also Penny and like Orange Blossom and Strawberry Shortcake. Are you fucking me? And all of them were Freddy in a different world? Like, it surprises me how often I can make that revelation and people will be surprised by it. So I wanted to make it here. Well, this is the place for it, man. And yeah, no, thank you. I, I was delighted to talk about Cree Summer with you when I got these notes because that is just one of the most uh, fun things about prominent voice actors is to, you know, draw the web of all their different roles and to find out that, you know, this one in particular is such a badass in so many other ways. It was delightful. Thank you. You're welcome. Shall we get on to something uh, less delightful? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I've talked about my process when coming up with hates before. Um, sometimes there's just something that makes my blood boil. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, I just pick some minor inconvenience to really blow out of proportion. Um, and, and, you know, Sometimes I have no idea what I'm going to talk about and then something just hits me and feels like a perfect encapsulation of something I hate, which is why I'm going to talk and educate you, dear boy and dear listeners, uh, about the internet musical artist Pogo. So uh, starting off with some clarifying background, because, you know, earlier I... Uh, when I was sending you the notes, I was like, I'm going to talk about why Pogo sucks. Are you familiar with this guy? And you said no. Um, so clarifying background, I want to talk about electronic remixed artist Nick Burtke, better known by the stage handle Pogo. Uh, you know, he's a South African musician whose signature style involves cutting together sound bites from movies, TV shows, and other popular media. Um, Pogo's songs are then solely made up of these sound bites and melodies and spliced into something completely new, which is a musical subgenre that has been called plunder phonics. And I really want to get weird, weird. I think it's a cool ass name, if nothing else. Um, I really want to get this across to people. Like it's not just that he samples something and then, and then creates music around it. The guy will cut together Alice in Wonderland and, and take melodies out of the score and, and cut together dialogue in a way that then sort of becomes a beat and, you know, has its own chorus and is, 
if anyone is into like chill hop, if anyone is into lo-fi, this is very similar in that sort of way. And honestly, the music is very enjoyable. You know, some of Pogo's highlights mm. include an Alice in Wonderland track or a remix of Doris Day's Whatever Will Be Will Be, uh, where the chorus is Que Sera Sera. Um, you know, mm. he he took a bunch of clips from Donald Trump's campaign and turned it into something. There's a Despicable Me one. There's like four or five Star Trek Next Generation ones where the guy will cosplay as Data or uh, Jean-Luc Picard. And it's fun and interesting. And one Pulp Fiction track, which I would have absolutely loved to have had made the theme song for Cult Fiction. So why didn't I? Why is this guy coming up in a hate if I very clearly enjoy his songs? Why am I very intentionally and deliberately not going to put any drops of his actual music in this? Well, in June 2016, a live stream was released on Pogo's uh, YouTube account, during in which he was talking to people and stated that he has a fairly robust resentment of the gay community. In the same video, and on the topic of the Pulse Orlando nightclub shooting, uh, he said, It amazes me to see the West welcome a culture through the floodgates that wants gays dead. I think it's fantastic. To elaborate this point, I saw this live stream blow up on Twitter um, when it first happened. Um, And in the video, Pogo is like just sitting in his desk and you can see that he is watching the police footage of the Pulse shootout. And he is laughing and whooping and cheering and clapping his hands as a mass murderer massacres a gay bar. And this, for me, completely destroyed the man as somebody I could ever like or respect the work of, and also uh, unveiled a trail of homophobic, misogynistic breadcrumbs that Pogo has been leaving throughout his career. There are instances where he's quoted saying, all feminists are just gold diggers. Or again, talking about his homophobia, to see a grown man act like a 12-year-old girl disturbs me. Um, His original YouTube handle was Fagatron. And these things have popped up and then subsequently over the years been brushed off by Pogo as social media experiments or bad jokes. You know, trying to say Uh. that he is portraying an ironic character representing the radical right in America. And I don't buy it at all. Can I? Okay. Can I talk about that for a Absolutely. second? Absolutely. Okay. I, I, you've shown me a few pieces of, uh, YouTube bullshittery. <laughs> yes. Yes, I have. In the past. Um, and, and it has, you know, it, it, it has involved people stating outright that they are making, for example, racist or sexist comments or stunts for the purposes of 
a joke or a social experiment or, and this is not good, but I have to call it the most honest because they don't give a shit. Uh, I'm thinking specifically of, what was he called? Ildubs? Idubs. Yep. Idubs. I'm thinking specifically of an Idubs video you showed me where he was talking about saying the N-word um, and using that in, like, certain situations to call out other people. Um, but but his but his refrain in using the word, his defense was, he really didn't care. I have osteoporosis. Um, About using it. So he was fine to use it. Um, that's arguably the most honest take I've seen on it. The social experiment thing, the joke thing, um, you know, Umberto Eco wrote about this in her fascism, but he talked about how, um, the propagandists of fascism, the people who lay the groundwork for fascism frequently do so under the cover of irony that, in, in the early days before people took Mussolini seriously, a lot of his writings were circulated and people argued that they were satirical, that they were funny, that they were joking. Donald Trump does this a lot. He'll say, he'll make comments about like, oh, someone should, so, you, you, you know, hey, hey, police, when you're arresting somebody and you like put your hand on top of their head so that they don't hit their head on the top of the car, um, you don't have to do that. You know, feel free to rough them up a little bit. And he can say, and when people, you know, rightly criticize that, he can be like, oh, no, I was joking. I'm making a joke. Irony is potent. It is powerful. It's useful in a lot of contexts. And it is very easily made a tool for fascism. And even more innocently, it's a really shitty guise that awful people will use to try and mask their awfulness. I, I subscribe to the theory that if you're actually funny... You should never have to tell somebody that you were making a joke. Yeah. That should never be... You should never have to be like, calm down, I was joking. Or I was being ironic. Because if someone can't tell that you're joking, if multiple people can't tell that you're joking or being ironic on a regular basis, you are not funny. You are not good at joking. Your point is not coming across. Part of the point of satire is that it needs to be understood. So when you tell me that this dude is brushing off his shitty, homophobic, misogynistic, awful takes as jokes and social experiments, I want every single person listening to this know that excuse at its, it is immediately suspect. Because anybody who makes their bones in content creation, especially comedic content creation, is at, it, at their most innocent, if they're using that, they are wholly incompetent and should not be doing the work that they're doing. And at their worst, they're evil and trying to shield themselves from it. Yeah. 
I completely agree. And, and I, I want to touch on a couple of different things. Um, you know, just, just to get it completely out of the way, I am incredibly familiar with uh, iDubs and, and Filthy Frank and a couple of, frankly, very problematic YouTube channels and personalities um, who, like you said, have, have done some things and are often under the guise of, well, I just, I frankly don't give a shit or, um, you know, I'm, I'm taking the power away from this thing by hyping it up and, and satirizing it or at, you know, at the very least being very clear about how like, Hey, I'm doing a fucked up edgy joke because I want to be fucked up and edgy. I mean, you know, 50 episodes ago, I, I talked about how much I love Sam Kinison. Sam Kinison's bit is rife with homophobia. So why yeah. does Pogo bother me so much? Uh, much to the points you made, I, e- e- even the people that I've enjoyed in the past, I think have no bones about, hey, yeah, this is uh, really messed up stuff. I'm going to go ahead and make a joke about it. I'm not going to tell you I'm making a joke. I'm going to cr- produce this content in some other way. Beyond that, um, you know, Pogo isn't, a comedian he's he's not somebody who made his bones being edgy on the internet he's somebody who who gained his popularity and gained his following and and turned a successful music career out of doing this artistic endeavor that the art of it i find enjoyable and fascinating but i have such an intense hatred for the man. Like I have not listened to a Pogo song in over four years since the pole shooting controversy happened. I have had one or two of them stuck in my head, but anytime I have a desire to even find in some way, the a, a song or, or some bit of content that wouldn't, profit him in any way i get the mental image of this man laughing and clapping and cheering over footage of a shootout which is something that even all of the edgy internet personalities i listed earlier would not be doing um Mm -hmm. he makes my skin crawl he really does and the one of the reasons I decided I wanted to talk about Pogo and one of the things that really made this click is like, okay, this is going to be a good hate. Honestly, um, there are parallels to David Bowie's thin white Duke period. I think they're Mm. pretty clear. And, you know, I had a written defense that I spent like a couple of days writing (laughs) about, (laughs) uh, about David Bowie and, and about how I, am able to listen to his work um, and not get caught in the mire the same way I do for Pogo. And in thinking about that, you know, one thing I got to say is one of them was a world renowned rock God who frankly was going insane because of the LA nightlife and his diet of peppers and cocaine. The other is a much less well-known musician who not only said that it was a joke at some point, but also blamed his bipolar disorder 
as the reason why he would say the things he did and straight up admitted that the live stream video he, uh, you know, we're talking about was never meant to go public. Not, I didn't know I was being recorded, which isn't much better of an excuse, but never meant to go public. Meaning he knew people that he wanted to engage and talk with would be seeing this. He just didn't realize, or at least he says he didn't realize that the entirety of the internet would be able to as well. And that is a huge red flag for me. So, you know, in that David Bowie episode, we talked in great lengths about how each person, all of us needs to just determine where the line in the sand is for us when it comes to a musical artist or an actor or, or what have you, somebody of high profile, somebody who puts out content to be enjoyed. We all have to figure out where our line in the sand is where I can't enjoy this. That's where the line is. And for me, Pogo is where the line is. I haven't listened to his music in four years. I honestly never plan to again. The, the, only time I have even felt bad about that for a second is, you know, I, I have another film podcast. We, we riff on pulp fiction and I sat there as cult fiction was being created and thought to myself, man, it would be a really fucking good intro to play this song, but I'm never going to do it. I wouldn't be able to, make the show and feel good about myself. So that's Pogo. Fuck this guy. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. No, I mean, I, I'm going to say that I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for drawing that line and noticing where it is. You know, I, this just popped in my head as you were talking uh, yesterday, I was making dinner, and uh, like I do, I put on some music, uh, and I decided it had been a long time since I listened to DMX. I'm a, I, I'm a big DMX fan. I love DMX. And um, a song of his that's like I, that I love, that's, that I think is great, is Where the Hood At. And I, I'm trying to remember the lyric exactly. Uh, I could Google it, but eh. But there's a line, but, but there's a verse in it where he says something like, um, "Last I heard, y'all was having sex with the same sex. I show no love to homo thugs. How you gonna explain fucking a man? Even if we squash the beef, I ain't touching your hand." Like, which for the late '90s, early 2000s, that was extremely rote. That's that's like. Hip-hop can be very homophobic sometimes, and that was a period where it was rife with that. Mm. So I think about that. I listened to that yesterday, Andy. And I heard that lyric, and I remember being like, and, and I know it. Like, it's in my head. I've heard that song a hundred thousand times. That's a great song. And that's a horrible lyric. Sure. Where am I going to draw my line on DMX? Um, I still listen to his shit. I still absolutely listen to his shit. I have no qualms with that. 
Well, I'm not going to say I have no qualms with that. I have qualms with that, but those qualms are not strong enough to stop me from listening to that song. Weirdly, organically, um, the last time I went back and listened to some old Eminem albums, oh, like shit. I tried to listen to the Marshall Mathers LP. <laughs> sure, I know exactly where you're going to go. <laughs> I, I, I tried to listen to the Marshall Mathers LP um, a few months ago. And anyone who's familiar with that, the very first song on it is Kill You, which is a song where he is. And and I and I and I will say, I believe him when he say he means this ironically, because at the time he was still very much a like horror core shock rapper. But he was ironically talking about raping and killing his own mother. That same album has the song Kim which is a sequel to 97 Bonnie and Clyde off of uh, the um, off of the Slim Shady LP. Uh, and in that song, in the, in the first song, it's after he has murdered his wife and he is taking her to go uh, throw her into a lake. Kim, the sequel song, is actually like a prequel song and it's him actually doing the act. Right. And the whole song is him narrow narrating this like fantasy sequence of him murdering his wife after he found out she was cheating on him. That album is a hard listen. A very hard listen now for me. And I like I listened to it, but I skipped a few songs on it. And I still have that whole album committed to memory. I can still remember that whole first verse to Criminal, which is the last song on that album. And that gets way more homophobic than the DMX line I just quoted. Case in point, I'm not going to quote it. Sure. Even though it's also burned in my brain. So I'm sitting here going like, like I'm starting, I'm thinking about my own line. And I haven't, like, sat here and written it out or gone, okay, this is where my line is. It's intuitive for me. That one DMX song, I can live with it. That Eminem album, I have a lot of struggles with. Sure. A lot of struggles with. Those first, those, those first two Eminem albums are hard listens now, today. Um... Friends is filled with homophobic jokes. Like any scene between Joey and Chandler, like there's usually at least one kind of, oh, we're not gay kind of joke. It's cringy, but I can still watch Friends and be like, eh, that's hacky writing. Whatever. And it's, it's the fact that you have figured out where your line is with Pogo versus where your line is with David Bowie is illustrative that you are putting the kind of thought into this that you need to be. And that I encourage people to, to, to have like decide where those lines are for you. Decide whose art you're willing to support, whose art you're not. You know, there's, there's been a lot of talk recently as of this recording about canceling JK Rowling. Mm-hmm. Cause she's a fucking turf and is awful about trans issues my attitude is, I'll read Harry Potter. I'm not going to buy any of her shit new. I'll, I'll buy it from used bookstores because I love used bookstores. And to me, that is a great compromise. Just go, all right, 
you've already received your money for this. There's nothing more I can do about it. I will support this local used bookstore. Uh, downtown Books and News in downtown uh, Asheville. Highly recommend them. Um, that's where I bought my two Boondocks editions uh, that I talked about a couple episodes ago. Um, I will probably... I, I'll, I'll buy her stuff, but I'll buy it secondhand. On the secondhand market. Uh, I will try not to give her any money. That or I'll pirate it. Like, that's that's what I'm going to do with that. Because I still like her work. But I don't want to give her money. I pirate Woody Allen movies. Sure. Because I like his work. Yeah. But I want to support him. Christopher Hitchens is dead, so I don't feel so bad buying his stuff. But I love his stuff. Point is, you got to think about this stuff. And you're thinking about it, and I'm proud of you. Well, thank you very much. Before I get long-winded again, <laughs> uh, would would you like to move on to our question? I would. I, I very much would. This is a, this is an interesting one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you did the little intro spiel, so I'll go ahead and read this. Think about uh, names while I do so. So uh, this is coming from uh, relationships.txt. And it is interesting. Okay, so person writes in. Title of this is, I got my period on a weekend getaway with my boyfriend and he got mad at me, dash, told me I should just hold it in. Taking a drink first. (laughs) I can't believe this actually happened to me. I've been dating this guy for five months. We never really had any issues or never really had any arguments until last weekend. We planned a weekend getaway at my parents' weekend house in the woods, and we were really excited for it. We got there on Friday night, and on Saturday, I woke up and I was on my period. I wasn't supposed to be for at least another four or five days. My period was pretty much always on time, so I didn't even think it wasn't going to be now. But when I'm on my period, I always have horrible cramps. I took a painkiller, but it didn't help much. So obviously, told my boyfriend, and he got really mad at me. Apparently, he came here to go hiking and have sex and stuff. But well, that wasn't going to happen now. It wasn't my fault, though. I can't control my period, but apparently, that's something he doesn't know. He literally said that I should have waited and hold it in. I guess that should be held it in until we were back home. Because yes, that's exactly how it works. I'm so mad at him right now. It was so ignorant of him to say that. And it's not like we can't go there any other time, really. I don't understand his reaction. We haven't spoken since, and I don't know what to do. So uh, I'm going to assume uh, she, her pronouns on this particular writer in. Uh, not to say we have to go with a female person I, for our. I think her. I name. think her username. I'm looking at it. I think her username is two X chromosome. So <laughs> let's run with it. You got any names? Because the only one I can think of is I was Carrie. About to say Carrie White. <laughs> uh, it's actually a very good novel. I highly recommend it. Um, all right, Carrie, it is. We're all sorry about this incident, Cassie. It's Carrie! I don't remember. There, there wasn't really a love interest in Carrie. There was just John Travolta 
being a bully. You know the. So I'm gonna say. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say. I was just gonna say. Let's be John. Let's be Carrie and John Travolta. That works. But... Uh, you know the um, the Chloe Grace Moretz remake. I I think it's Ansel Elgort who. Hmm. He hasn't aged well. Whoever the hell it is, it, it's presented as more of a love interest. But, but you know, Sissy Spacek and, and John Travolta, that works too. Um, yeah, all right. Carrie White, um, that's not how it works. Your boyfriend's an idiot. Enjoy the breakup. Uh, if you want to send your questions in to love-hate relationship. Andrew. No, I know. I'm, I kid. Um, well, I, uh. I, I don't kid about my main points. Like... You, you make a point of saying that this is a five month relationship. And that was around the point where in my head, I was just like, get out, get out end this shit, go through the awkward car ride back to wherever you guys live. Uh, call him a fucking idiot and an asshole because he's both, uh, you know, get your hoodie back or steal his hoodie, whichever one and get out of that like like i i i see no room for work i i I see no room for having a talk with john travolta and explaining your feelings and explaining to him that you can't hold that shit in um giving him some proper sex education i mean Listen, I know for some uh, period having people, it is like clockwork. And then I know some other period having people who will go two and a half months late and it doesn't mean really anything other than they have a highly irregular period. Um, So, I mean, I just, not, not to be quick and not to have spoilers like, like, fuck this guy for getting upset because your period started a week early and that means he can't like go on a hike and screw you under a waterfall which that's not even getting into the idea that i mean you you could but yeah i i want to hear if you if you have anything redeeming alex because frankly i don't i i think if this were five years, that would be a different conversation and a bigger problem. But for five months, this shit ain't worth saving. <laughs> Here's the thing, Andy. Um, I don't have anything redeeming. I have a different angle on the shittiness. Okay. So, I... Carrie, I actually have a certain amount of sympathy for John Travolta's lack of biological knowledge. I say this because I've spent time in the sexual education activism realm, helping out with uh, an organization that offered sexual education, particularly to populations that had very, very poor access to it in public schools. I grew up in a public school system that had very terrible sex education and had to learn about all of this stuff myself because my parents didn't offer it to me, really. My school didn't offer it to me, really. I watched a lot of R-rated movies as a small child. (laughs) That was a bad idea in this realm. Scary one of them. (laughs) 
Uh, actually, yes. I saw Carrie when I was probably like 10. Something like that. Um, so I have... I, I, I. Yes. Your boyfriend has a huge gap in knowledge. And if he... You know, a lot of times when we get these questions, we get ages. We don't get an age for him. If you guys are like... 18, 19, and he doesn't know this shit. I have some sympathy for him. I, I would assume that he probably didn't get a good education and no one has told him what he needs to learn. And, like, I would happily recommend some basic books or articles or primers to learn this stuff. It's not hard. He could He could learn everything he needs to learn, biologically speaking, in an afternoon. You really can. It's not that hard. It just takes some dedication. Um, to just be, like, literate. The problem for me, the part where he shows himself to be an absolute dog shit piece of crap is the fact that he got mad at you because he didn't get to fucking go on a hike. That says to me, apart from the fact that he is biologically undereducated that's me putting it kindly he's a piece of shit who views you as a sexual object and who throws hissy fits when he doesn't get sex on the terms that he was expecting that's a bad dynamic that's a bad partner that's a person who doesn't respect you who doesn't properly care about you and who is if he's not solely interested in you for uh certain forms of gratification he clearly prioritizes those forms of gratification far too highly, much more than he values your comfort, your happiness, your experience of anything. So I say to dump his ass, not because he doesn't know how periods work, which is tragic, but because he's a piece of shit who seems to value sex over your physical comfort blanket statement to everyone out there listening don't fuck people who care more about their orgasm than your pain level that is evergreen advice yeah so carrie dump his ass on andy's side dump his ass because he's an idiot on my side dump his ass because he's a selfish prick we cool? <laughs> I think so. I mean, I, you know, I want to give Carrie the same amount of attention we give anybody. You you bring up that that maybe, you know, ostensibly these guys are maybe 16, 17 and have lax parents who are okay with their kids going hiking uh, for a week. Probably more likely that they are, um, you know college age maybe they're that's, 18 that's what i read this as I, I read this as like college probably early college age and if y'all are young and and he truly doesn't have a proper education i mean you you know this person posted this on relationships txt to you know ostensibly get some context and advice and i'm i'm 
kind of trying to force myself to figure out some way to say you can talk to him and and give him give him a proper education and maybe salvage this but god i'm i'm having to really force those words through my mouth i think the anger at like you stated alex uh, the anger at not getting sex on his terms in the manner he expected I mean, geez, there's literally nothing stopping you from blowing him every night this trip and and him being content and him getting his. Um, The anger at not getting sex in the way he wanted specifically and thought he was going to get is such a terrible red flag, no matter how long you've been dating. But, you know, my first relationship only lasted five months. Five months is nothing. Five months is probably not worth your time to try and salvage this dude in any way shape or form other than to maybe give him a thorough tongue lashing put him in his place so that the next girl he goes hiking with he's maybe a little more understanding with that's the most beneficially optimistic take i could have on this is like put this guy in his fucking place so maybe he learns to be a better person I mean, I, Carrie, I don't think that's your responsibility. Like if you want to do that for fun, like cool, but it's not your responsibility. I just, you know, it's also completely valid that, you know, maybe you don't want to have sex or you don't want to blow him because you have horrible cramps. That's, that's, it is. I, I have known like you and I, Andy, both know people who have periods who, it puts them on their ass for a day or two every every month or every period where they where they're in so much pain that they can't like they can't go to work they have to end up staying in bed the entire night some people's periods really are that bad and that's an experience that is valid and and, and, and again, like, it just comes back. If you had written this and said, okay, um, I feel terrible because um, I was hoping we would have sex, but I got my period and my boyfriend asked me if I could hold it in and I had to be like, oh, sweetie, and now it's awkward. Like, but that, but if he was like also, but if he was reassuring and said like, it's okay, but like expressed that he thought you could hold it in, like... At that point, I'd be sitting here going, okay, no, let me let me link some resources. Let's educate him. He sounds like a really sweet guy. Like, there, there would be an opportunity to salvage the relationship because it's just a gap in his education, but he understands how to be a good person. John Travolta is a piece of shit. It doesn't matter what he knows and doesn't know. He's a piece of shit. Absolutely. Salvage nothing. Get the fuck out. Agreed. Get the fuck out. Uh, uh, speaking of getting the fuck out. <laughs> if you want to get the fuck out. Uh, now, if you have a relationship question that you want our perfectly unqualified advice for, we are taking those requests. We would love to be inundated with those messages so that we could, you know, do an entire episode just helping you with your problems. If not, we're going to do an entire episode just going through more crap like this from, uh, you know, uh, enjoyable Reddit. If you have those, and we will not be sober for that. You didn't mention that I'm down. 
<laughs> if you have a relationship question, you can send those in to love, hate relationship podcast at gmail.com where we promise we'll read them. Absolutely. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or even TuneIn Radio. Hey, Mom. Uh, we would also love it, absolutely adore it, appreciate it so deeply if you reviewed us on any and or all of those. Uh, and you can also tweet us at LHRPod. That's L-H-R-P-O-D with your questions. Follow us there to keep up with new episodes and to check to make sure that Chris is doing his homework. <laughs> uh, I talked about my other podcast, Cult Fiction. It's a really fun movie show where I watch cult movies with the incomparable Stephanie Johnson and uh, very deliberately do not have a fun theme song like in this podcast. Uh, and you can find that at all of the same places. You can also find me, Andy Bowell, at JoVoCop2113 on Twitter. And I'm at A underscore X underscore R-U-I-Z on both Twitter and Instagram and what the hell, TikTok. Um, I should post more TikTok videos. That should be a thing I do. Uh, only have the one. Anyway. Thanks for listening, y'all. Follow me on TikTok where I may or may not post more videos. Or maybe I'll just post the same one over again. Who the hell knows? Um, we love you all. Thank you for being with us for 50 episodes. Here's to 50 more. Tell your enemies. Tell your enemies.